in studying the miracles of Christ. Um, we've been through ten of them so far, about a third of the way through. We've talked about everything from Jesus' power to completely transform something like water into wine to raising the dead, which we're going to see again today. Uh, we've talked about the importance of faith and obedience and, and um, reaching out to others. Um, this morning, we're going to look at a passage in Luke chapter 7. And in this passage, it's the only time this miracle is mentioned. Most miracles are mentioned in the other, what's called the synoptic gospel. So most, most of them are mentioned in um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, however, this particular miracle, um, the raising of the widow's son, is only mentioned in Luke. Um, and um, there, I think there's some, some reason behind that. But uh, when we look at the Bible as a whole, and this whole issue of resurrection, people being brought back to life, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, we have two stories in the Old Testament of people being brought back to life, maybe a third, but two very clear examples. One is in the life of Elijah, who raises the widow's son at Zarephath. And if you remember, Elijah comes and prays and begs God to bring her son back, and, her, and he does. He comes back to life. Um, that's going to become important in our story tomorrow. The other is Elisha, who raises the, the, the Shunammite's son. The Shunammite, um, Elijah, Elisha, had prophesied that she would uh, have a child, and then later this child dies, and she comes back to Elisha and says, you've got you to bring him back to life. And, and Elisha goes and lays upon his body, and he comes back to life. And, and so we have that story of the resurrection. There's some people who believe that there's a story about Elisha's bones and touching that and coming back to life. So some people will look at that as a third. Some people don't. It doesn't matter to, to what we're going to be talking about today. And then we have three resurrections in the New Testament related to Jesus. Uh, we have the um, Jairus' daughter, which we've already talked about. We have the um, widow's son at Nain, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. And then we have Lazarus. Um, it's significant that two of the three are children which tells us something of the value of children in the kingdom of God. Um, all of them are family ties. There's, there's a, a family has a, this little theme that kind of runs through it and, and the, the idea of, of Lazarus and, and his sisters and all of that. So we have that. Then we have the resurrection of Jesus, um, which, of course, is the resurrection of all resurrections. And you have the saints that were resurrected at the time, and we don't know how many of those there were, but there were probably a lot. When we get further in the New Testament, um, we actually have a couple of other resurrections following Jesus's. We have um, Peter, who um, uh, raises up Jairus's daughter, and this will give some of you hope this morning. We have Paul, who raises up Eutychus. Eutychus is the guy who fell asleep in church and fell off the thing and died, and Paul brought him back to life. That gives some of you hope. All right. Um, <laughs> of course, if you, you, know, you fall asleep and die right here, I don't know I'm going to do much for you. But anyway, don't fall asleep in church. No, um, but you have that story. And then there are some people that believe that actually Paul died and came back to life. Um, and, and, and look at the story in Acts chapter 14 where Paul is stoned, and it says that Paul's left for dead. 
The very next verse says that Paul goes, I forget, it's like Lystra or Derby, but that's like 15 miles away. And it's like, okay, you know anything about stoning in the New Testament? That's not something where you just walk up and take a 15-mile trip the next day. Um, so either Paul was miraculously healed, or as some believe, Paul was actually died and then brought back to life. Um, so those are the main issues of resurrection that we have in the Bible. This morning we're going to be looking at the widow's son and um, learning some things from that particular miracle. So with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 7. Um, and here's the, here's the passage. It starts in verse 11. Here's what it says. Soon afterwards, Jesus went up to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the briar or, or the casket or the coffin or the stretcher. Um, they were carrying him on, and the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding company. Um, let's break it down and let's kind of talk about it in actually the paragraph sections that we have right there. Uh, it says, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So understand the, pick, the story. Jesus and his followers are walking along, and they're going into the city. As they are walking into the city, there is a funeral procession, procession coming out of the city now that's very very important because in our culture if you're driving down the road and you see a hearse coming towards you what do we do we pull over as a respective honor right in their culture they didn't pull over in their culture you joined the procession so in other words, if we were living back in new testament time you wouldn't pull over you actually you would pull over all the cars would go by you would turn around and you'd get in line and you'd follow them to the cemetery no matter if you knew him or not, that was the culture. So as Jesus and his followers are walking along, going into the city, a funeral procession is coming out of the city. And notice what it says. It gives us a lot of insight here. Um, this happens near the gate. So right at kind of at the apex, the, the, the gate was the, the big hub of the city. Think of it as the town square. It says, um, a, crowd, um, it says a dead person was being carried out. And he gives us some very, very specifics here that are important. He says, the only son of his mother. So this was an only child. Okay? Right off the bat, you need to understand, this was an only child. And he adds another layer to it and says, and she was a widow. Now that becomes important because here's why. In this culture, if you were a widow, then your children took care of you. So if she's a widow, her husband has passed away, her son is now going to be responsible to go out and get work and help and bring food in and, and, and provide economics. Even though he might have been young, that didn't matter. They would, they would put him to work somehow. And now his, her only son is also dead, so now she has nothing. That's why, by the way, in the New Testament it says so often that you take care of the widows and the fatherless because they, they didn't have a means to support themselves. And so in this case, what happens is 
she, she's all alone. And notice what it says. It says that there, she was a widow and a large crowd from the town was with her. So apparently either she or her son had made such an impact on these people that everybody from the city or a large group from the city came out to be a part of this thing. So this is a fairly significant group that's following her out to the, to the cemetery. Um, now you also need to remember this, that in this culture, and even in the Jewish faith today, um, bodies are usually buried within 24 hours. Um, if it was a Sabbath, then a little bit of fudge room there. But normally, even if it passed away like just before the Sabbath, they usually try to get the body into a tomb as quickly as possible. That's why in the story of Jesus and the cross... Mary and them come on the day after to put the spices in because there wasn't enough time to do that because of the Sabbath. That's why Jesus wasn't hanging on the cross for the Sabbath. They needed to get him dead before the Sabbath thing. So, so that's why the timing on this. So what happens is they, they would prepare the body, and sometimes what they would do is they, they would put it up like on a stretcher or something like that. Um, sometimes it was like a, an open casket, I guess you would say, or a basket. Um, and, and what they would do is they would put the body in it, and they would carry it out, and then they would bury it either in a, in a if, if they had money, it would have been a, a, a hollowed-out tomb, maybe in rock like, like the sepulcher. Um, it might have been a sarcophagus that was kind of a big stone thing that they would put the body in and put the lid on. You'll see those in Israel today. Uh, you'll see them down in uh, New Orleans. Um, you know, if you've ever seen those where the caskets are all on top or, or that, that kind of concept. So they would have taken that out. Um, it would have, maybe they would have had spices on it. If they had enough time, the body was wrapped. Uh, and they would sometimes put spices on there uh, if it passed away earlier in the morning or, or whatever. So th th I want you to understand that his death is very fresh. Um, this isn't something where she's had a lot of time to mourn his loss. I mean, her son has died. She's a widow. She's already lost her husband. Now she's bearing her only child. Um, and notice what happens when the Lord saw her, and this is very, very important. You see that little phrase, his heart went out to her? Um, some of your Bibles may have it translated compassion. It's a very interesting word. It's only used twice in the New Testament. In this story and in the story of the Good Samaritan, where it says the Samaritan had compassion on him, um, it's a very, very important word because it, it means that it, it, it has the idea of not just he felt sorry for her, but he felt sorry enough for her that he was moved to action, as in the story of the Good Samaritan. It wasn't just that he walked by and saw somebody and said, I feel sorry for you. It was he went, he healed his wounds, he, he bandaged the thing, he took him, he did all of those things and, and made sure that his stuff was paid for and he had a place to stay and he was going to be safe. It, it, it has this idea of action associated with the emotion. And so it says here that Jesus sees her and he has compassion or his heart goes out to her. And what does he say? I think this is so important. What does he say? Don't cry. Now that almost seems cold and heartless because this is a culture in which mourning was paramount in a, in, in a funeral. I mean, you know, we get into funerals, you know, or, 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 or something like that. You know, we put little Kleenex boxes on there, and, and people try not to, quiet, not to cry real loud. This is a culture where you paid people to cry loud. This is, this is a thing where in a service, in a funeral service, you would turn off the microphones because it was so loud you didn't want anything else amplified. I mean, I mean people just, 
loudly wailing, and, 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 and they, pay, they actually paid people to do this because that was a symbol of your importance and significance to the city. So this mom, fresh off of the loss of her son, walking out the city, going through this funeral procession, every, all of this noise, all of this activity, Jesus comes up to her, and he's moved with compassion. His heart goes out to her, and he says, don't cry. He's saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And then notice what happens next. He says, then he went up and touched the briar or the casket or the coffin or the, the, the stretcher. They were carrying him on. And the bearers stood still. Um, t- Tony, you're still here, right? Nick's gone. Tony, Tony, come here. Okay. Um, it says, he went up and touched him. Okay, now, uh, okay, here, here, you just stand right here. Okay. When, when, when we read Jesus touching, we get this concept. Jesus touched him. Okay, first of all, Jesus doesn't touch him because he's dead and he would be ceremonially unclean. So he touches the casket, stretcher, coffin, briar, whatever it is that Jesus is in. But this word touched is a very, very significant word, okay? Because it's not this. It's this. It's this. It is, it is, it is this aggressive word that means he grabbed this thing as it's moving and physically stops this thing. Because they're walking out to the cemetery. So it's not like, yeah, you're scared now, aren't you? Um, yeah. Because, but that's it. That's the idea. It wasn't like Jesus reaches up and goes, okay, get up. It's like these people are moving to bury this guy. And Jesus comes up and physically goes, whoa, stop. And he stops this thing. Okay, you can go sit down now. I think I threw my shoulder out. Um, but he says, uh, they were carrying him to the point that the bearers, the people who were carrying it, stood still. In other words, he physically stops this thing. So it's not this idea of touch. It's this idea of woe. And they stop. And then know what it says. Young man, I say to you, get up. And notice what happens. Dead man walking. The dead man sits up and begins to talk. And these people are like, whoa, 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 this is a big deal. And it says, and Jesus gives him back to his mother. And Jesus said, okay, let's get him out of there. Here, Mom, here's your boy back. Don't need to cry anymore. And notice what happens. It says they were all filled with awe and praised God. And notice what they say, because this is significant. A great prophet has appeared among us. Here's what's significant about this story. Now think about it for a minute. A widow's son was brought back to life. If you're a Jew, what are you thinking? Elijah. A widow's son brought back to life. This is Elijah, come back. But it takes it even further. Remember I said the other Old Testament story is the Shunanite woman, or the Shunanite woman who Elisha raises her son back to life? You know where she was from? It was a couple of miles south of Nain. So these people had grown up hearing the story of Elijah and Elisha, which happened just a few miles south from here. They knew about Elijah and Elisha raising woman's son from the dead. 
And so when this happens in their minds, they immediately go, a great prophet has come among us. I mean, and, and by the way, this is a prophet who's better than Elijah because Elijah had to pray and ask God to bring him back to life. Jesus just simply says, get up. And Elisha has to lay upon the, the boy and plead with God for him to come back to life. Jesus just simply speaks. Jesus just simply says, get up. There's no prayer. There's no hocus pocus. There's no, there's no laying on him, touching him. He, Jesus just says, stop, get up. And it says, and they said, God has come to help his people. They understood this was like incredible. That God has walked among us. God has become among us. And it says, then they spread, and the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding community. A um, couple of applications, a couple of takeaways for us. First of all, you see the power of the Word of God. Don't minimize it. All Jesus had to do was speak, and it brought life to a dead man. You and I have the opportunity every day to take God's Word and let it come alive in our lives. We have the, the opportunity every day to take God's Word and say, you know what, God? This is an area of my life that I'm struggling in, but I'm going to trust you. If that's what you say, this is what I'm going to do. And make no mistake about it, this book is incredibly powerful. The words of Jesus, the words of God recorded in this book can change your life. But it's not enough to hear it. You have to do something about it. And Jesus says, get up, and this guy sits up. And, and, and God has the same kind of power and the same kind of availability, and the same kind of emphasis in your lives. When God says, look, this is what you need to do in your marriage. This is what you need to do with your kids. This is what you need to do in your business. This is how you need to handle things at work. If you will trust me here, if you will listen to me, I will use you. And I mean, Brittany said it best. You know, it was, it was this idea of God's been impressed with my heart, so I took a chance. And the next thing you know, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. But it's taking that risk. It's following God's prompting. It's listening to what God is pressing upon my heart. And then you have, uh, you have so you have this idea of the, the, the power of, of, of the Word of God. I, I think here's another principle you see in this story. You see the power of God's timing. Have you ever thought about this? What if he had passed away an hour earlier or an hour later? What if Jesus had spent another half day someplace else? would have been a missed opportunity. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. Let me say it again, because some of you are struggling here. God's timing is perfect. Go through your Bible. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? Just as he's getting ready to, to kill his son, all of a sudden he stops, and there happens to be a ram caught in a thicket. Go through the Bible over and over again. It just so happens that Daniel happens to end up being under Nebuchadnezzar. And it just so happens that Daniel, that, that, and, and, and Daniel's opportunity to stand up when the king makes a decree. Um, how about Gideon, the story of Gideon? Read the story of Gideon, where Gideon is, is, is scared. He knows Israel's going to go into battle. He goes down and the Midianites, and he looks at their camp, and he sees all of these massive people, and he is scared to death. And as he's sitting there with his servant, they overhear somebody in a tent. 
Who says, I had a dream last night, and we're going to lose this battle? And Gideon walks back, and he, goes, he says, hey, buddy, guys, we're doing this. We're doing this. God's in control here. Um, how about um, the story of uh, Ruth? Just happens to end up in Boaz's field. Just happens to. Um, the story of um, Rebecca and Isaac just happens to end up feeding and watering for, for Isaac's servant. How about Jonah? There just happens to be a fish hungry enough at the moment that he's chucked overboard. Just happens to be. Over and over and over again in the Bible, you see God's timing is precise. And, and, and I would challenge you because some of you are struggling because you have prayed for something for a long time. You've asked God for something for a long time and it hasn't happened and it hasn't happened and you're getting frustrated and you want this and, and, and it's just not going and you're getting it. God's timing is perfect. You've got to learn to trust Him. You've got to learn that His timing is perfect. I mean, in, in my life, just so happens that 1983, is that when we met? 83? 80? Oh, we got married in 83, that's right. I probably met you before then. 1980. 1980, yeah. 1980, I'm in college. It just happened to sit next to this skinny little girl from Virginia. Now, let me tell you how God works, because there's only one reason I sat there. And she was beautiful, but it's not because of that. It's because she was the hostess. And when they brought food to the table, the first person that got the food was the person who was next to the hostess. So I, sat, I always sat next to the hostess because I get the food first. Um, so I sat next to her. That's always food. I'm telling you, women, figure it out. Um, so it was one of those deals where, you know, they serve the meal, and they give it to the hostess, the hostess hands it there, and she thought I was obnoxious, and she thought that I was egotistical, and she was interested in somebody else at the table, not me. But you know what? God's timing is perfect. You know? It just so happens that when we got ready to, um, when we were in Wisconsin, we were working at a Christian camp, and I've been there about three years, and... Um, I went into my boss, and I had a discussion. I said, look, I said, I really think God's impressing my heart to get into a church somewhere where I can work with teenagers full-time. I said, I love what I do here, but I said, I'm just frustrated. I said, I see these kids. They leave. I don't see them for another year. I said, I want to spend, spend the whole year with kids. I want to watch them go all the way through. I want to I be a part of their lives for the whole time, not just one week out of a year. And he said, well, let's pray about it. He said, oh, by the way, there's a church in Sioux City, Iowa, I don't know where they're going to go to camp next year, but I need you to give them a call. I give them a call, talking to the pastor on the phone. The pastor says, hey, you know what? I would love to tell you we could come to camp up there next year, but right now, he said, we're praying about a youth pastor. He said, I don't have a guy, and that will be his decision. And he said, so right now, it's not. I hung up the phone and thought about it. thought, that was weird, but whatever. Go in that night. My wife and I are talking. She says, where? I said, it's city, Iowa. She said, you know, I think that's where Dallas Salzman is. We had taught with Dallas back in Virginia years ago, before that. She said, let me call her. So we called Dallas, and we said, what, tell us about the church. Tell us about the pastor. Tell us about the people. Um, 
four months later, we're a youth pastor in Sioux City, Iowa. Coming here, I get a call on a Friday night, or on Saturday night. What most people don't know in the story is that we had been candidated and had been asked to take a church in Canton, South Dakota. The pastor was retiring, moving up north, and, and what was going to happen is I was going to come on as youth pastor for a year. Then he was moving out of town, and I was going to be the pastor. Not with the board. All they needed for us to do was say yes. Voted on it, said all we had to do was say yes. On a Saturday night, I get a call from a guy here. He says, hey, we need somebody to fill a pulpit. And I said, well, I'm busy for the next couple of weeks, but I said, you know, I'm going to be there in like three weeks or something like that. I said, I don't have anything that Sunday. He said, okay, let's plan on that. Can't tell you why. It was a God thing. But I'm meeting with the board the next day to tell them yes. And I said, I would love to tell you yes, but I need more time. I can't tell you why. I don't know why. 24 hours. Had they called Sunday night, I would have already been a pastor, already accepted a pastor in South Dakota. 24 hours. God's timing is impeccable. And some of you are frustrated because you've got a thing that you've been praying for, you've got a thing that you want, and it's not happening as quickly or the way or however you want it to happen. God's timing is perfect. If you are trusting Him, if you are looking to Him for wisdom, He will not let you miss it. He won't. And I want to encourage you because you see in this story the, 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 the preciseness of God's timing and that they're going in... He, they're going in and this group's coming out and it was at that moment that God had orchestrated that. He had orchestrated it to be at Nain, which is just a little bit north of where the Shunammite story had happened. And, in, and it was a widow's son, which is just like Elijah's situation. And it, it was all the hand of God. And you may or may not be able to look back and see the hand of God and God's fingerprints all over it. But in time, in eternity, you will get it all. If you don't get it here, you'll get it there. But once in a while, God opens up heaven and says, hey, I'm going to show you why I did what I did. And those are incredible things. And I look back on it and I think, man, 24 hours? 24 hours? God's timing is perfect. And if you're not getting the answer you need in the time frame that you're wanting to, it may be because it's not God's time yet. It's not that God's not at work. It's not His time. Trust Him. He is perfect on His timing. And I think the other lesson that you see in this story is you see that compassion, compassion has an active element to it. It's not enough to feel compassion for somebody and not do anything about it. Real, genuine compassion in the story here. Jesus has compassion on her, and he acts. The Samaritan, the Samaritan has compassion on them, and he acts. In, in, in the story that you see over and over again, you see that active element that's involved in it. It's not enough to sit there and say, I feel sorry for that person over in that cubicle. I don't know I, genuine compassion is going to do something about it. Genuine compassion is going to get up and at some point go over, look for that opportunity, 
and realize that that's got to work. Genuine compassion says, I'm going to do something about that which God has brought into my life that I feel strongly about. I'm going to do something. And I want to challenge you because some of you are struggling. You, you know there's somebody you need to go out and reach out to to help. And it's like you feel for them. And you're, you, look, where do you think that burden came from? Because if you haven't figured it out yet, the last thing Satan wants you to do is to care about anybody other than yourself. So when, when I'm looking at it going, you know, I mean, you know, if I'm looking at a decision and I get a lot of benefit out of it that's really self-centered, I can pretty much tell you who's pulling me that way. But if I'm sitting there concerned about somebody else over there on the other side of the office, that's a God thing. It's not enough for God to poke your heart. You've got to respond to what God's doing. And God's saying, look, I've I got an opportunity here. I can do something. I can use you if you'll let me. But you've got to go do something. Compassion has an active element, and you see that here. So my prayer for us is very simply this this week. As we go throughout the week, my prayer is simply that we'll take the Word of God and we'll make it bring life into our lives. Then we're reminded that God's timing is perfect. He doesn't make a mistake in the way that he's working in your life right now. And for that person that you're burdened for, do something this week. Act on it. Don't just sit there and do nothing. Let's pray. Lord, we're not here for us. We're here to honor you. And so, Lord, that means that we've got to be usable. It means that we've got to be willing to be used. So, Lord, this week, will you take your word and work it into our lives? God, will you take the things that uh, you impress upon our lives and help us do something about it? Lord, for those who are frustrated because they have been praying for a long time for something, it just doesn't seem to be happening. Lord, would you give them the grace and the patience and the understanding to understand that your timing, your ways, your plan is perfect? There are no mistakes. So, Lord, help us to be able to see that. Lord, we want to do what you want us to do in your time, in your way, for your honor and for your glory. So help us to do that and use us this week. And, Lord, for that person that uh, we've been burdened for, may we this be the week that we do something about it, and we will thank you for it. These things we ask in your name.